I do believe that each pet or each dog is placed in our lives to teach us something, right? Right when we need them most, even though we don't maybe realize what that life lesson is. And so I think I've been blessed to have a few dogs or for some people, maybe many dogs in our lives at just the right moment to fill that need and give us a life lesson. Um, it, It doesn't make the pain go away, but hopefully it makes it a little bit easier. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lemereau and welcome back to the show. Today I have a very special guest on and it's an angle we've not covered before. It's a beautiful memoir written by Dr. Renee Alsaraf, who's the author of Sit Stay Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. Now, in this beautiful memoir, uh, Renee teaches us so much of what we can learn through the, the families of these beautiful dogs and how the dogs navigate cancer, because Renee is a veterinary oncologist, and you've performed numerous veterinary clinical trials, co-authored peer-reviewed journal articles, and lectured both locally and on a national level. And um, Renee wrote this book actually because uh, she too ended up getting diagnosed with cancer and had all these profound awarenesses from her beautiful pet patients and how they've navigated in her own journey. And today we're going to be unpacking her story and learning from her experience. And I'm just so grateful to have you on the show today. Welcome, Renee. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, your memoir is so beautiful. I was telling you before we hit record that I I teared up a lot. I um I had never been a pet owner before and a year ago almost to the day we we got a puppy, a beautiful Australian shepherd Kona and um it has transformed all of our lives. Um my husband had had a pet before my daughter was as many kids do begging for begging for a dog. And um, we made that journey and reading the stories of all of these families that you have helped navigate and all these beautiful dogs that you've helped live longer, done your best to help extend their lives, uh, really touched my heart. And I'm just grateful for the work that you do in the world. It's clearly your love and your gift. Um, But you're so wonderful with these families and you see that in, in the story. Um, So I just want to acknowledge you and just thank you for your work. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it cannot be an easy job, but it seems like, you know, you you love what you do, even though it's hard. Can you speak more to how you got into specifically, you know, because your husband's sure. also a veterinarian, but he's an yes. ophthalmologist. He's an eye. Correct. Yeah. An op- okay. Yeah. An ophthalmologist. So he does um, eyes in yes. dogs and cats and ferrets and birds and, you know, okay. even Shamu the whale. But um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not an easy job. So many yes. people say, oh my goodness, your job must be so difficult. Yes. And 
while the topic is, um, for me, my job was more of a calling, as, as sort of you stated, you know, to be able to give that pet family, you know, another holiday season or a few more summers and to get to really know them and and how that dog and see how that dog helps them, what that pet means to them, just fills me right back up. Mm. Um, I had wanted to be a veterinarian ever since I was seven. I was going into third grade, you know, and, and throughout all the years, so many people would say, oh my goodness, it is so difficult to be a veterinarian. Why don't you apply, you know, to medical school? Um, it's easier to get into medical school. I think my father would have paid me to have applied to medical school, but I never wavered. I never thought about any of that. I knew that this is just something I wanted to do. Wow. So here you were at 51 years old, treating Mm -hmm. dogs and other pets, animals with cancer. And then you got your own, and you like to call it the C word, right? We're not going to (laughs) call I love you. Thank you. We're going to call it. Yes, I'm not owning that word. It's that's yeah, okay. Just, that's not yes, who's right? it's, it's a word. You don't have to you call it what you want to call it, right? Correct. So we're and, gonna call it for you, the C word. Yes. And the, the technicians that I work with would be like, Dr. A, that's not what the C word means. But for <laughs> me, <laughs> it was just not a word I was ready to say. Um, you know, as as you read in the book, at least now it's a lowercase C and not yes, a capital C. God. So we yes. can downgrade that, not yes. give it any power. That's right. Um, yes, you're yes. in remission just for everyone to know, right? I am. I just went to my uh, medical oncologist in July and she actually said, I don't have to come back for a whole year, um, which felt great. Yes, thank, thank goodness. Um, but there's some security in being checked. So, right, even though you don't want to, and I might fret ahead of time. uh, So I talked her into seeing me in six months, uh, just in case. Uh, That makes sense. And it makes sense. And even the stories you talk about, and we're going to talk about that today, because it seems like the way that there's care for animals who are going through cancer is different in many ways than it is for, for people. Is that right? I think so. And I think part of it is how we as people approach it Mm. compared to how, say, for instance, my dog patients would approach it. And I think, I hope that there are things that we can learn from that. Yeah. Well, why don't you share some of what you were learning? So, so actually take us a little bit into your story. So how was your, do you mind sharing about how your cancer was discovered? Or the C um, word was discovered. Yeah, that's yes. okay. So yes. um, I am the poster child as to why we should all get checked every single year. I was 51, you know, this may be TMI, never missed a period, wasn't lethargic, hadn't lost even a pound, unfortunately. But um, I usually go to my gynecologist uh, every August. And for whatever reason, back in 2018, I had made my appointment in June. Hmm. And I thought, I remember as that appointment approached, I thought, well, that's crazy. Why do I want to do that two months early? But I had already booked out of clinics and appointments and I thought, fine, I'll just get it over with. And so I went in and on, you know, during the exam, uh, my gynecologist found what she had hoped was a little nodule in my uterus. Mm. Um, unfortunately, after the biopsy, uh, it was endometrial carcinoma. 
I had surgery about 10 to 14 days later. At the time of surgery, thank goodness I had a great surgeon. He found a three millimeter lesion or metastatic spread outside of my uterus. Um, And as horrible as that was, thank goodness he found that, right? Yes. Thank thank God, because um, that probably saved my life. It was because he found it that I ended up having 25 treatments of radiation therapy and many months of chemotherapy, which nobody wants, but I will take that if, if I get my life in exchange. That's right. Um, Yeah. So. (sighs) Well, um, I'm sorry that that's what happened, but you're right. It's a good reminder to, you know, just show up for those appointments, even though they're not pleasant because, you know, because you had really nothing indicating that there was something wrong, but it sounds like with these patients of yours, there's the, the, the families are seeing things that are wrong. Right. Sometimes, right. So yeah. um, the most common type of cancer in dogs yes. uh, is lymphoma, yeah. which often shows up as big lymph nodes. Um, Same place as humans, like right under our neck. Exactly, under our neck and our shoulders, ah. uh, behind a dog's uh, hind legs, like behind their knees. Yeah, in their um, underarms, you know, yeah. their axilla and in their groin. Yeah, um, and you know, for. Many of those patients, they have no clinical signs whatsoever, except for those lumps and bumps, if you will. Mm. So sometimes, you know, pet families will feel them or they'll take them to the groomer and the groomer will notice or they're in for their routine shots and their veterinarian will notice. Other times they will have outward signs, maybe not eating as much not, you know, acting as vigorously as they used to drinking more water, urinating more. Mm. And is it common for dogs to get cancer? Is this a common thing? Hopefully you'll never know anyone. Yeah. Um, the average age dog that gets cancer is usually about 10 years yeah, of age. Older so dog. they are older. Yeah. Um, it is, uns- it's more common say than when you and I were growing up as kids in part though, I think it's because um, all animals are living longer. They have better care, better nutrition, right? They're not yes. dogs that are just running around the neighborhood. They're either kept, you know, in a fenced backyard or on a leash. Um, so any of us, the longer we live, have a greater chance of developing that. Yeah. Um, in For some breeds, it is genetic mm. and often having nothing to do with the breeder or the breeder before them, but having you know, something that was perhaps bred in them maybe, golly, 50 years ago or so. That was the case for boxers. Uh, They were a very healthy breed up until the 50s. Then they became a very popular breed. And unfortunately, there were a lot of uh, backyard breedings and recessive genes bred in them. Um, So now they are more genetically inclined to get certain cancers than other breeds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you and boxers are your favorite breed. That's the one you had since you were a little girl. (laughs) And so part of your story is Newton, your dog, your boxer, Mm -hmm. Newton, Nudie, you call him, right? Yes, (laughs) exactly. So, so can you tell us, take us a little bit more into sort of this journey of what happened while you're caring for patients and what happened with your own, with your own boxer, with your own dog? Um, So as I'm in the middle of my chemotherapy, sort of just 
finishing, well, actually still probably in with radiation therapy. I, uh, you know, unfortunately was convalescing on the sofa and my, you know, chemotherapy hair was plastered to my scalp. And I reached down to pet my four-legged nursemaid and I just stutter because I feel enlarged lymph nodes right under his neck. And I thought, how could that be? I, I, I can't be right, you know, or right. do I have on just my veterinary oncology glasses that I think every lump is that. Right. Um, and yet I think in the pit of my stomach, I knew. And when yeah. I when I had the heartbreaking job of telling my family, my son and my husband, um, even before we did the diagnostics, I think they knew as well. So you know, you always want your dog to be by your side and your companion, but you never think that you are going to be getting chemotherapy side by side. But that's what happened. He went through chemotherapy while I was going through my chemotherapy, um, which was hard. In the beginning, he took it like a champ, you know, didn't miss a beat come home, run to his food bowl to see if there's, you know, miraculously his food has just appeared there. Um, Didn't miss showing up for my son. Um, But sort of as the shoemaker's children, I guess, never have shoes or whatever that, that phrase is. He, he didn't, he didn't make it to the odds. He didn't beat the odds. He didn't even make it to the averages. And despite the many different protocols uh, that we attempted, um, the cancer won out, which of course, as you can imagine, left me with a whole host of feelings, right? Yeah. I, I don't think I had survivor's guilt, but I did have more than just mourning my dog. I felt terribly, you know, second guessing myself. Did I do enough? I did everything I could, but we still always look back, you know, as if, you know, hindsight is 2020. Um, And I perhaps maybe foolishly thought that we're in this together and we're going to beat this together. Yeah. And then when he didn't, it caused me to pause about my own treatment. Yeah. Someone, not me, but someone had suggested that perhaps he lost the battle so that I could win mine, right? Which is touching and hard all at the same time. Um, And then, especially for those people listening who have to make those hard decisions, going through that with a child is so much harder and different than going through it by yourself or just with your spouse. Um, because I think as moms, right, we're the mama bear wanting to protect our baby bears. And while these are all life lessons, we don't want our kids to be in pain or to hurt. And it, for my son, it was hard enough that he had to have all these feelings because his mom was going through it. And then his dog, as we would call his big brother, because, uh, my son's an only child. Um, he had to experience it as well. And yet I know for his own emotional health, he needed to feel all those feelings, right? Yes. And we needed to talk about it and to process it. Um, but that doesn't make it any easier. 
No, not at all. Not at all. And I'm sorry that that was the the result. And that's, you know, and, um, you know, I think that's part of the, the beauty of your book too, is just like all of the truth. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you're finding this. I mean, I'm in my fifties too. Now I'm 51 and just in midlife, it's like this new awareness. I don't know. It's like the weight of the, we have, you, you have the aging parents, you've got the pets, yes. you, you, you know, people are going through their own uh, healing journeys or yourself or, you know, it just right. seems like it's more, it's more. And I totally yes. agree with you that when you have children, you want to, uh, I don't know. Yeah. The mama bears, we want to protect our, our children from any suffering or pain. And yet also one of the, the gifts of our of pets too, is the ability to, to sort of navigate the truth of life mm-hmm. through the, through the loving of, you know, this, the, these unconditionally loving beings. Correct. It, it, and, and that's what I tried also to relay to Peter, my son, as hard as it is and how we all would wish that our pets would live a whole lot longer than their natural life. They should. I don't understand. I know. Why do they live like so short life? Yeah. But I do believe that each pet or each dog is placed in our lives to teach us something, right? Right when we need them most, even though we don't maybe realize what that life lesson is. And so I think I've been blessed to have a few dogs or for some people, maybe many dogs in our lives at just the right moment to fill that need and, and, and give us a life lesson. Um, it, it doesn't make the pain go away, but hopefully yeah. it makes it a little bit easier. Absolutely. I think that's beautiful what you shared. And, you know, tell us more about what you were hoping to impart in your book, because even just what you talked about, you know, the you, you talk about how these dogs that you care for navigate their diagnosis and their ability to be just fully present. I mean, it's so different than our our human brains. And as you right. talk about a lot of the what if situations that we can have a hard time unhooking from. I mean, it's just how we're wired, right? I mean, we can imagine Correct. so many situations, but the dogs are just in the moment with us, right? Right. And and they, they practice mindfulness or they mirror that for us. And, you know, you'll hear of like a girlfriend going to a spa weekend with another girlfriend and, or I will. And then I come back and I'm convinced I'm going to change and improve my life. And by Tuesday it's out the window. <laughs> um, but perhaps we could use the dog as the guide for many things, but for for just living more in the moment. I know I can fret with the best of them. And, um, you know, even before walking in, getting my chemotherapy, I have just a jumble of thoughts in my head. How am I going to look? Will I get sick? How sick is sick? What will people think? It does no good, but to waste my energy that I needed to heal and and to bring me down, right? It doesn't help my cork to float at all. And even after the procedure, as I'm leaving, I'm thinking, it took the nurse three times to put the catheter in me. What will happen the next time? You know, I I don't leave it in that cancer center. I bring it home and I lament, um, but it doesn't do us any good. It really doesn't. And maybe just to to fret a little bit less, 
to realize that just sometimes showing up in the moment is all we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And also as one woman looking at another woman who's been through this, you know, challenging journey saying, you know, however you navigate it, it sounds perfect to me too. Do you know what I mean? Because we all do the best we can in that, in that moment and maybe sometimes feeling a little bad or lamenting a little is okay. Yes. (laughs) But, but you want, you wanted to share. So tell us what your hope is with, you know, somebody's reading your beautiful memoir. What do you hope that they're understanding from, from these beautiful dogs that you've, you've had the honor of caring for and extending in many situations, their lives? Um, hopefully a few things. I think for me, the overall message is how dogs can be these incredible guides to all of us when we struggle, whether it's the C word or, or something else. Right. And I, I, I think, and I hope that the book gives them this front row seat to the enormous impact that the human animal bond makes in all of our lives. I hope it validates it for them and, and for other people who don't even understand that human animal bond. So, you know, I think we're fortunate in society. I know, you know, a couple of decades ago, mourning the loss of your pet wasn't really accepted or you you shouldn't take a PTO day off because of it, you know, and now people understand that more. These are part of our families. These, these are loving, you know, beings that give to us unconditionally and we give to them. Um, I hope it speaks to the power of women. I hope it speaks to the mom, you know, and what we have to navigate. Um, Working, you know, family life, and then dealing with our own struggles or facing our own mortality or talking our child through all of these hard decisions. I hope it resonates for people when there is an end of life decision um, to be considered, you know, and, and sort of provide some guidance and and some caring, um, and of course, you know, just the very the very obvious, you know, for anyone with a pet, you know, who is sick, you know, just understanding that process. Um, I hope it provides some insight into the differences between veterinary medicine and human medicine. And, you know, certainly human medicine is extremely advanced and, you know, thank goodness for that. We all benefit, but perhaps there are some lessons from the veterinary world that would, would make the, you know, human medical world a little bit easier for all of us. Yes. Well, I think your book does that beautifully. Actually, could you speak to that last part? Because I did find that interesting um, in terms of how things are done with animals versus your, you know, yes, your experience. Yes. Could you speak to that a little bit? Um, uh, I guess if you want the differences between human and, and animals. Yes. Okay. So obviously, you know, both are as as the years have gone by, both are much um are very highly skilled and knowledgeable and and human medicine much more so you know lots more money for research etc um both have subspecialties um you know humans even much more so you're not just a surgeon you're a hand surgeon or right. cardiothoracic surgeon um but i think 
sometimes those specialties in human medicine have gotten a little far from treating the whole patient, right? We all go in to see our doctor for whatever, and you show them a little, I don't know, wart on your skin. And, right. you know, the first answer is you should see your, your dermatologist, or you should see your someone else. Right. And, you know, I get from perhaps a litigious society, people do that, but they've had the training, they know this, you know, and in veterinary medicine, I think we treat, even in subspecialties, we treat the whole patient. Yes. Um, I think too, in human medicine, you go in with a condition and your physician tells you what you're going to do to treat it, how it's going to be. And we follow that often blindly. Whereas in veterinary medicine, or specifically for these pets with cancer, mm. we might talk about different chemotherapy options, what each prognosis would be, what the chances are of side effects, what um, you know, how much it will cost, and what if we don't treat? Well, then these are the palliative things that we can do. So that we're giving more knowledge for that family to make wow. an educated family decision. Yeah. And you know, lots of times people will say, hey, doc, what would you do? Well, I can't make that decision, but I can help guide them, right? I believe that knowledge is power. Yes. And so the more we know, um, and it really depends for a, a pet parent, it depends on finances, it depends on their risk tolerance, on their ability to come and go. Um, and sometimes just because we can do something doesn't always mean it's the best thing. Mm. But I think in in getting to know that family as veterinarians, we then honor that family dynamic in their decision process. Yeah. And I also think it helps families to feel that they have some sort of control, right? I mean, yeah. you know, medicine is not an exact science, so, but at least the last thing, you know, anyone wants to have with any of this um, or any regrets. And so being a part of that decision, I think helps with that. Yeah. Uh, another decision or another difference that I've noticed is despite how many of my physicians that I asked, no one would give me my prognosis percentage of going into remission, the whole thing. And I'm very type A numbers based. Yes. Um, Whereas in veterinary medicine, we do that, right? We can give the percent chance of going to remission and for how long, sometimes in, you know, days or weeks or months. Um, I do understand from the medical community's perspective that it doesn't really matter what the masses do. You know, it doesn't matter um, what the average human patient does. If you're that 10% that does poorly or the 20% that hits it out of the park. Um, and, and I assume they also don't tell us because they want us to go in with the best possible attitude. Oh, interesting. Right? Maybe because they know we will ruminate and have those what ifs and Correct. create more mental worry. Then, exactly. Right. You don't have to worry about that with the dog that you're treating. By telling it's the parent, the, the parent, the the owners will be worrying. Yes, but the yeah. dog will. The it's not going to impact the dog, right? It won't, right? And that dog will always have that positive mental attitude when <laughs> right. he comes in, right. looking for a biscuit. So, right. so that's all good. Yeah, um, I remember reading that in your book, and you're saying, "Wait, why can't you just throw a number out there? Give me a percentage, right. and and then they yes. won't do that." 
Right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, but I could see why you would want that. I it's helpful to like understand just something to wrap your mind around, right? Exactly. Something for me to try to strive to do better than. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um are there any any other key differences? I think one of the things that I remember reading was just like, you know, the whole family usually comes in or the people are coming in with the pad and it's you see them through the end and it's like very like hands-on with your whole team and, you know, yes. everyone's involved. Um, what was it like when, because you, you talk about this little in the book about, you know, some people are showing up alone and, you know, there was the bell to ring after the radiation treatment, but nothing after right. the chemo, you know, tell us a little right. bit more about some of the differences there. Oh my goodness. Yes. So after radiation in the radiation unit, they have you ring this loud bell, which I didn't want to ring because I was still having chemo, but I rang it, you know, as I say in the book, loud and proud. Um, but, you know, in, in, I think dogs teach us to celebrate the small things in life, right? My dog's happy that the sun came up every day or that, you know, she's going to get another treat or she gets to play with her Snoopy toy again. Right. Um, and so one of the things we try to do when they're done with chemotherapy is provide a diploma and make it a big special occasion. Um, whereas when I was done with my chemotherapy, I ended late that day and it was as if they were just turning off the lights and, you know, they were sweeping the floor and I just, you know, walked out with my tail between my legs, feeling just a shell of myself. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that was very hard. I think that could, that could improve just to make it um, a happier situation, not a, okay, go home now. And maybe you're going to be sick for a few days and then you have to gain your strength back. Right. Uh, yeah. I wonder if you could use your book to go into these hospitals and give a talk and just maybe just, especially because you are in the medical field. I mean, you treat yes. animals, but you're treating cancer. And so uh, sometimes it takes new awareness to realize that some of the procedures that exist aren't always the best or the most empowering or the most supportive of a patient just because people are, you know, I think within the medical community are just so exhausted themselves and right. Yes. And just like checking boxes and everyone's maybe just thinking about themselves, not because they're selfish. It's just the way the system yeah. is set up. Right. And yeah. so I I'm just thinking just out loud a little that maybe you could use this to go to talk to them and give them a new perspective. Cause I think it could make it, it could make a difference. Oh my gosh. I would love to do that. Completely open to that. And I think they're just very small things, you know, but right. enough of them that it right. would really help. Yes. And, right. And doing it from a dog's eye perspective, nobody's going to posture against that. It's, it's easy to take. That's um, right. That's right. To understand. That's right. Are dogs allowed or no? In well, therapy dogs are yeah. allowed in, in some hospital situations. They are. Uh, which, yes. Um, and I think with time, more and more uh, centers are trying to do that. And it showed such great benefits. You know, you always hear of, of that helping children or the very sick or people who don't want to communicate. 
Um, and yeah. then you bring in this dog who, you know, one of the big lessons, sort of every chapter is a, about different lessons in the book, but one of the big uh, lessons is that they meet us where we're at, right? They never judge us. Um, and that's so freeing, right? Yeah. You feel seen, you feel heard, you feel unconditional love. Um, it doesn't matter if we've lost our job or we, you know, said something silly. Um, they love us just the same. And I think, you know, it's human nature to judge. Um, we all perhaps try at times to not be so judgy, but I know I also have this little voice in my head who is not very nice to me. Um, and dogs don't have that, <laughs> but mine puts me down and I should take my cue from our four-legged friends and, and, you know, dismiss her, not, not allow her any, you know, any stage time to talk to me like that. Right. Right. Just their presence is such a powerful reminder. And it's true. Like you talked about in the book, doesn't matter if you've lost your hair or gained weight from the chemo or whatever, the dog is not looking the dog. It's an energetic exchange of just pure love. They're just so happy oh, right. that you're like in their lives. I mean, it's just, yes. like I said, I, I always thought dogs were amazing, but I just, I had no idea <laughs> <laughs> just how, how powerful and healing and, um, yes. you know, amazing just having the presence of a pet is, and you know, there's people who are listening who have cats or yes. other animals, yes. same thing, same thing. Right? right. I mean, it's, it's all the same. It's just the, the story, your, the, the memoir is, you know, is, is the dogs that you treated. And Franny was one of the ones that touched me the most. Can you just tell us oh, a little bit about Franny before yes. we wrap up today? Cause I think of, I loved all the stories, but Franny's right. was very, very sweet. So Franny, uh, I can say is because she is still doing great. Um, is a, uh, female spade bloodhound who came in with, um, her police partner, uh, gentleman, and she had just had surgery for a bad type of cancer in her stomach. Um, unfortunately, the prognosis really was just a few months with or without chemotherapy. Um, after lamenting the decision, going back and forth, uh, the police officer and his precinct and captain decided to go forward with treatment. Their biggest concern was that she wouldn't still be able to smell and she was search and rescue and she would find, you know, lost children or perhaps, you know, um, uh, people suspected of, of committing crimes that have, you know, that are on the, on the lam, um, and we treated her. She started out, I don't remember her exact weight. I want to say somewhere in like around 100, or I'm sorry, somewhere around like 70 pounds. And she did great. He brought her in every single week for four weeks, then every other week for four weeks. And then we spaced it out to every three to four weeks thereafter. Um, multiple times. She would be in the newspaper. He'd bring us a clipping of someone that she helped track down when other dogs or other teams couldn't find that person. Um, I had nominated her and she won for New Jersey Dog of the Year, um, which you know was fantastic. She, as a bloodhound, you know, drooled, uh, you know, 
unrelentless. <laughs> what is the word? Like continuously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Continuously. Full of, yeah. full of wrinkles, and she gained a lot of weight because you know, down at the precinct, everyone felt sorry for her, so they would give her extra treats. We gave her treats at the veterinary clinic, and she ended up being about 121 pounds from being somewhere in the 70s. Yeah. And she didn't care. She loved life just the same. And here I was stricken with the side effect of lymphedema, which, you know, made me look and, you know, heavier. And the scale certainly said I was heavier. And I lament that, you know, he, I was beating cancer, but I felt badly about myself, which yeah is such a waste, right? I'm doing all of this so that I can live and enjoy, um, but I can't get out of my own head or, you know, we all look in the mirror and see wrinkles and, and gray hair, but the dogs just love living and, and being here. And so to take that cue from her, um, they ended up retiring her because with all the weight she had gained, she was slow, <laughs> you know, in the marshes and the fields and through the forests trying to track um, down. But it has been, golly, about six years and she's still doing well. Wow. She's still in a complete remission. She now has a little boy um, at, you know, at home that she gets to, to be with and make sure it never gets lost. Hmm. Such a beautiful story. I love, I did love for any story. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's, it does talk, you, you don't know. Cause the, when you, when they first brought her in, you weren't sure, right. You can't say Correct. like, and so you just gave them the options and, uh, in her case, it worked out. And I yes. guess that's part of life anyway, is we need to have faith and trust that, you know, we can just show up and do the best that we can. And yes. Know, right. And, and exactly. at some point turn some of this stuff over. Um, is there anything you want to um, leave the audience I'm listening with today? Any final oh, thoughts or? Um, I guess two. Please. One thing is that as a veterinarian, I'm going to tell you that there is no wrong answer, right? Any of the decisions that you are faced with making, as long as you are doing it with your pet's quality of life in mind, no matter how long or how short that time span might be, it will always be the right answer. There are no wrong answers for that. Um, and I guess the second thing is something that someone had recently said, she's someone in the publishing industry. And she said, you know, after I read your book, I felt that I was a better dog parent I felt that I was a better person and I felt happier. So I hope that's what other people experience as well. Beautiful. Um, thank you again, Renee. Renee is the author of Sit, Stay, Heal, What Dogs Can Teach Us About Living Well. Where can people find the book and connect with you if they want to learn more about your work? Um, thank you. So the book has a website. Uh, sit stay heal book.com and heal is h-e-a-l i have a bunch of events and and different things so you can uh, find it there and then the book is sold where all you know most all books are sold it's on also amazon um it's an audiobook it's on audible um barnes and noble so it's, it's just been a really great thing i feel very very fortunate 
I'm very grateful. And I'm so grateful to you, Michelle, for having me on. Thank you so much. Oh, this has been amazing. And and in my show notes over at thegoodlifecoach.com, I'll have the links so that anyone who's interested in um, finding all your social handles and getting access to the book can do that. Um, Renee, thank you for for taking the time to write this book. I hope that it was healing for you. I imagine it was. It was. It was um, emotional. Yes. And that was exhausting, but in a good way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's such a beautiful book. And um, like I said, I felt honored to like be a part of these stories and then also your journey. And we will send you good vibes for continually feeling good and getting stronger every day. And um, thank you for the work that you do in the world. It's such a gift to all of these families that you help. And um, thank you for your time today. So appreciate it. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.